Mr. Robot Season 3, Episode 6 is over, but we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps, talking about the latest episode of Mr. Robot, also talking a little bit about last week's episode of Mr. Robot as we missed that podcast. Apologies for that, guys. Hello, friends. I am Josh Wiggler. I am joined here by Antonio Mazzaro. Antonio, how are you feeling? Pretty shook up, Josh. Pretty shook, shook. up. Yeah, shook. I am. Uh, what? I don't know how many stages there are to grief, but I'm well past stage two. Oh, too soon. Too soon. Yes, stage we have. Soon. We have just endured uh, part two of a two part stage two episode. Basically, is what we have weathered, and it didn't go great. It didn't go great. It did not go well. Uh, spoiler alert in case you are wandering into this podcast accidentally, though, by the tenor of our voices, uh, the tone of this podcast so far, perhaps you can tell already. Stage two was a success for the Dark Army, and thousands of people are dead in the universe of Mr. Robot, and it is unsettling is the word that I shall choose to describe it right now. Yeah, there's certainly a disintegration between myself and my happiness. But uh, I'm really excited in in some respects. I, I've had some a little bit of time here talking to you about the episode just to process what we just witnessed. And uh, I'm really just excited to see where our characters go from here. How do they process this major event? This like, I mean, this is like the major event of their lives. This thing that just happened. I mean, you take a, you take a, a, a small thing and you turn it global very quickly. This is horrifying what happened, but it seems like it's going to have an impact on literally every character in the show. So I'm really fascinated to see how that's going to play going forward in the season. But I'm also excited, Josh, because we did something special uh, for this episode. Episode. We needed some help processing our grief. Yes, we needed some assistance. We needed to call in a friend. We needed to phone a friend Hello, for this friend. episode. Hello, friend, for this episode of Mr. Robot. Antonio and I are fresh off of a conversation with writer-producer Cora Adana, who is a man that we name-check frequently here on these Mr. Robot podcasts. He's my partner in crime on the weekly columns that we're doing over at The Hollywood Reporter, where Cora is digging deep into the writing process of Mr. Robot, sharing stories from the writer's room in the case of 305 an episode that he co-wrote the incredible oneer of an episode uh which Cora spoke about at length with me in our weekly column so though we didn't have a podcast about that episode due to timing issues completely on my end i completely own that uh there's a great column with Cora that has a lot of insight into that episode and now we have the man himself on this very podcast talking not just about 305 but also 306 which which really is the second part of this two-part stage two attack of an episode. Uh, you know, very different stylistically and different in terms of form, but of a piece very much. Uh, it was a great conversation. Antonio and I, I think, uh, despite the fact that we are we are sounding somber at the start of this podcast, I think you, you and I are very, very excited about what we spoke with Core about. Um, some of the insight that he shared in the creation of this episode, the themes that were in play, the developments for these characters, many topics that he was unable to address. But the fact that he was unable to address those topics makes its way onto the podcast. So you get to find out which stoves are too hot to handle. Uh, but this was great. I had a really great time talking to Cora. How about you, Antonio? Yeah, he was so generous to give us over an hour of his time. I would have honestly bought an hour uh, plus time 
with Corridana to talk about Mr. Robot at some kind of charitable auction. So it was great of him to take the time to spend with us to talk about not only episode six and his brilliant creation in episode five, but also just the season three as a whole and what they're thinking about when they're sitting down to craft a season of Mr. Robot. What are the emotions that go into the writer's room? What are their thoughts about what situations to put characters in and why? And what are the challenges for them in writing some of these specific characters? It, just a really a, a sprawling conversation, not just about these past two episodes, but about the show as a whole. I think for fans of the show, it'll be a real treat. I hope so anyway. So we have our conversation with Cora coming your way in just a second. We also want to let you know uh, that we've got another podcast coming your way before episode seven. We will have a second episode of the podcast uh, stemming from 306. This was a massive episode. I think the biggest, most impactful episode of Mr. Robot yet. We're at the midpoint right around this portion of the season, uh, this portion double day of the season. So Antonio and <laughs> I are going to we're going to stop. Stop down and we're going to do a feedback show. We're going to get your feedback. We're going to engage with you people who have been so kind to listen to this podcast and play along with us. Uh, any thoughts that you're feeling, any questions you have about the narrative of the show and the direction of the show and the events of this past episode, thoughts that you have about the meta narrative, anything you've got, we're going to talk about that in our 306 feedback show coming your way early next week. Get that feedback into us. A number of ways you can do that. You can leave comments at postshowrecaps.com on the page of this podcast. You can submit to postshowrecaps.com slash feedback. You can tweet at Antonio. He is at AC Mazzaro. Two Zs, one R. I'm at Round Howard. Those are the best ways to, to guess. Do we have an email address? I can't even remember. We do. Yeah, it's email. Mr. Robot at postshowrecaps.com. That's M-R Robot at postshowrecaps.com. Or like Josh says, you can go to postshowrecaps.com slash feedback and send us feedback. Josh, we're going to record that over the weekend sometime. Yeah, so I would get that feedback into us by no later than end of day Friday uh, would be ideal. Uh, we will tackle your feedback. Anything that you send our way, we'll get into it. It'll be a really good show. Uh, and without further ado, I think it's uh, now would be a great time to bring in the, the, the man of the hour, the mystery man, who isn't a mystery because we've told you who it is. All right, guys, I am super pumped about this. Uh, you have been hearing his wisdom and insight on these podcasts all season long. Hopefully you have been reading along with the amazing columns that he has been providing us at The Hollywood Reporter all season long. Here he is, someone who is going to help guide us through our shared trauma, I hope, today, is the great writer and producer of Mr. Robot, one of the many great writer-producers of Mr. Robot. But he's our writer-producer today, Cora Donna, joining the podcast. Cora, what's up? What's up, guys? Thank you guys so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. It is it is wild to have you here. This feels like uh, we, we've made it, Antonio. We, we conned one of the people that actually is involved with the show into, into coming on to you this podcast. You socially engineered me, and now I'm on the phone with you guys, and now I'm on this podcast. And um, yeah, it's all, it's all downhill from here, I think. Yeah, it only took two and a half years. It was a long con. It was a long social engineering uh, experiment, but it worked. It worked. We're here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are here to, to reign chaos as chaos is reigning in the world of Mr. Robot right now. Uh, Core, why? Why did this happen? Why did, why did you guys do this to us? Why did stage two have to go through? Let's just start there. I'm deeply unsettled, as I'm sure many people are having just watched this episode. Uh, you really, you cut, you punched us in the gut pretty hard here. 
And that was our intention. Uh, that's been our intention for the past uh, two seasons now. I mean, we've been setting up stage two since season two. And I know that early and we left that lingering at the end of season two in the finale. And I know that early in the writer's room for season three, uh, the other writers and I were discussing like, all right, what are we going to what are we really going to do here? Is it just going to be one building? Is that big enough? Is that a impactful enough uh, climax for this plan? And in those talks, uh, that's where the germ of the idea was born for, you know what, why don't we really lean in to a very serious misdirect where not only is Elliot falling for this misdirect, but all of our viewers are also falling for this misdirect. And that's why stage two um, went off in such a fantastic, fantastic fashion um, and a surprising fashion and a heartbreaking one because uh, we, we really, we really wanted to work hard to earn this reveal and this misdirect. And based on your guys's reactions, I'm hoping we did a good job, (laughs) even though, even though it, even though it hurts (laughs) in your heart. No, it's, it's really, it's really upsetting. And Antonio and I were talking before about how unsettled we are by the ending of this episode. Like I just have not felt totally right since watching this episode uh and i and i think that you know it's it's interesting to me where you know one of the antonio you and i were texting about this earlier uh well one of the one of the threads that we're following along as a possibility here in season three of mr robot is the possibility that none of this might matter there might be a way to to undo all of this you know angela seems really committed to that idea that whatever white rose is cooking up might be something that can kind of undo a lot of this damage can bring us back to a world where Angela's mother never died, where Elliot's father never died. And, you know, just to be, you know, fully candid, like Antonio and I, and I think many other Mr. Robot viewers are like really nervous about what this could possibly bear out as on the show. But after an event like stage two, I have never rooted harder for time travel (laughs) in Mr. Robot in my entire life. That is. Let's find a way to get there. That's a pleasure to hear. All the all the time travel critics before this episode are now advocates of time tra- of the time travel theory. That's hilarious to me. I've never even thought about that. That is hilarious. <laughs> I, I do think, like, you know, in seriousness, I think one of the things that it does accomplish emotionally this moment is it really does make you want to, like, undo everything. It makes you want to feel like there is a, a possible path forward where all of this havoc and all of this chaos and all of this destruction, can it be undone? Is there a way to, to dial it back? And, you know, maybe it's not possible, but, like, it, it does – it really makes you want to believe in what Angela believes in. Well, it's interesting that you bring up wanting to undo do things because because a lot of stage two and the way this panned out uh has to do with elliot's naivete and even in season one he had this kind of uh i I think you guys phrased it as sophomoric uh idealism of like all right the five nine hack is really going to save us and it's going to equal everything out and it'll take care of you know everyone who's not in that top one percent of of the top one percent and he was wrong about that and he had good intentions and it came back to bite him in the ass and he realizes all the trouble that all, all you know, all, all the trouble that he's caused and the state of the world um, that 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 is, you know, that, that is uh, 
the, the, the state of the world that he and the rest of F society have, have brought about. And here he in, in season three, he is trying to undo the effects of five, nine. And he's so focused on saving this one building and he is doing everything he can to help the recovery effort, to convince E Corp to, um, you know, t- to start digitizing locally and, 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 cons- and really consolidate their recovery effort. He's trying to thwart Mr. Robot and Tyrell's plans and the dark army's plans. And he's so, he's so focused on that. And in doing so, again, there's this other outcome that he never anticipated that no one anticipated, which was he, he made it worse. And he, he took one target and turned it into 71 targets because he never anticipated how the dark army was going to react like that. So had he just left everything alone in the beginning of season three, had he not started that game of cat and mouse with Mr. Robot, with Terrell and dark army, the body count would have been significantly less um, than what it turned out to be at the end of this episode. And it's because of that naivete cropping up again, because he doesn't, he doesn't really see the full picture and uh it's 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 sad and it's uh it's 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 interesting to it's interesting to look back on it in, in hindsight at, at this point just based on you know when when you guys have have just seen it and then you guys are reacting to it right now it's it's horrible because you know Elliot is throwing himself into walls literally but he's throwing himself into harm's way throughout this episode uh, where he keeps going back into the building and he knows he even talks about the fact that like there's no like time bomb on this like there's no ticking clock like this building could blow up at any minute there's just no way to know and he keeps going back and like you know he could take one step forward and he could be completely incinerated in just an instant because that's just the way that this thing could play out and and he's so dedicated to saving these lives and for it to be all for nothing. The lives uh, of one. I mean, he technically did save those lives. He just didn't right. save. He never anticipated that it was 71 buildings worth of lives, not just this single that not just the single building. So this building would have gone down too. is the is this the building point. would have gone down too had he not pulled okay. that halocarbon fire suppressant um, that that trigger when he got into the battery room so it would have been it would have he did save the lives in that building but he never anticipated that it would have been 71 buildings and there's a great line in there and i love i love this line where he's staring at the the newscast at the end and he says the new york recovery center wasn't the single point of failure i was right Uh, which really encapsulates that idea of he was trying so hard to protect the New York facility. And in doing so, he gave them 71 more targets by keeping all the paper records where they were or rerouting them with a shipping hack. And what's interesting about that to me is that he is isolated from Mr. Robot, the half of him which may have provided some more information. Cor, I thought that conversation in episode five that you wrote was fascinating, where he's talking to the proto-robot, where he's talking to this would-be Mr. Robot, a projection of a projection. So he knows what he needs to know in order to get this done, but he's just not at his best. He is playing checkers in a, in a chess world. He doesn't really know. He knows who the players are. He knows what they're capable of. He tells Darlene 
that White Rose is a terrorist. He tells Angela that White Rose is a terrorist. He knows that you can exploit in this way because this is what he did with the Steel Mountain, with the recovery centers, is that he found a single point of entry and he, he applied it to multiple facilities. But he's just so not on his game. He's divided. He's at war with himself. And he's just not capable of putting this all together. He is the single point. And it, it's, uh, it's really difficult to watch that play out. As you, I think you said sad. It is sad. It's sad to watch Elliot, a guy we know to be just brilliant, struggling so much with himself that he can't see the forest for the trees in this case. Yeah, he he really did underestimate the Dark Army. And and you're right. He has all the information he needs to put this together and come to the come to the right conclusion. And he can't because he, he's dealing with so many other conflicts and so many other things. And robot is, is a huge part of that. And um, I like that you part that you brought up that elevator scene from 305 because it reminded me of a scene that we cut from 306 where we did the exact we did the exact we use the same technique but in the opposite in the reverse. So um, if you remember when they're right when Elliot and Robot are right outside the battery room and Elliot's you know they're they're having this conversation via notepad and he's bringing up the shipping hack and he's like check for yourself there's no paper here you're being duped and we originally it was scripted and Kyle Bradstreet's great script it, there there was a moment where Mr. Robot had his what would Elliot say to me if he were here moment and that kind of helped fuel his decision to open that door, get them into the battery room and have Elliot pull that trigger to save that building. Uh, we, oh, ended wow. up, we ended up cutting that. It was a beautiful scene. I love the scene, but we ended up cutting it just due to pacing because the whole episode is go, go, go. And we're ratcheting up the tension and you're on the edge of your seat. And it, we felt like it slowed down the energy a little too much. And you still kind of got the essence of the turn for Mr. Robot based on what Elliot was doing and based on what Elliot was showing him on, on the monitor um, and, you know, in the browser and, and via notepad. So we didn't feel we, we really needed it, but it, we did, we did give each of them their own little, like what would the alter do moment to help inform and help kind of make those decisions. And it brings up another interesting point. Like does Mr. Robot know the did he was he aware of the full plan um you know right this uh and if, you, if you're and josh i apologize to you right now because i know you asked me this question two weeks ago and now i can give you the full truth of the answer but yeah please do when uh tyrell is in that space with irving and he goes there's something i'm gonna need uh in order to go move move forward with this mission and it's the full force of the dark army and when you asked me that question originally i was just telling you oh he needs the full force of the dark army to get all the paper to new york no he needs the full force of the dark army to launch this kind of attack on 71 buildings at the exact same time the same day with uh you, you know with with that malicious firmware with those uh keys that they they got a hold of with Angela's help in 305 yeah, and the fact that, you know, Tyrell and Elliot and really Tyrell and Mr. Robot are not seeing eye to eye in recent history on Mr. Robot suggests to me that Mr. Robot probably doesn't know the full scope of what Tyrell's planning here. Is that fair? I think that's a fair uh I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, it's, it's interesting me, to me, though, Josh, because and I don't want to get too much into pinning core down because we don't want to be spoiled on anything. Yeah. And, and by the way, just to interject, we need a safe word for you, core. Like if we're getting too close to the hot stove and we are going to get you into trouble and you are going to say something that you cannot say and you just know that you need a you need a safe word. What's the what's the appropriate safe word for? For core. No, no. Do you guys have any ideas for some good safe words from some of your favorites? <laughs> I know, la- I know. I, from your last episode, you, uh, F Society was a favorite one of yours, <laughs> yeah. but <laughs> it doesn't really make sense in this context. It really was such a great line delivery, though. There's a there's a Fidelio would be a good one. Fidelio <laughs> is, a, is a I think it's an eyes wide shut reference. Yes, it's it is. A, the password. Yeah. So maybe Fidelio, which I believe was a safe word in another context. I can't remember what. But no, perhaps no, no, that no, would no. be a good one. I think that's I perfect. Like you throw a Kubrick reference at me, and I'm I'm totally on board. All right, Fidelio, it is Antonio. Uh, I turn the table back to you. Well, no, I was just saying the question did occur to me: How much does Mister Robot actually know? Because there's that great scene earlier in the season with Krista and Mister Robot, and Krista and Elliot, and Mister Robot says to Krista, "Like we're compromised." She compromised us. Like I'm seeing things that he should be seeing. So they are on the same page in terms of being the same person and probably needing a lot of the same information, but they're being kept apart in part by Angela. And where we ended 304 was that Angela is is answering the phone or seeing a text from Irving. We're going Monday. The question that I had is, do, do Angela and Mr. Robot then just sit around and do nothing all weekend? Because what the question Elliot's asking himself in 305 throughout the beginning is, what did I do all weekend? Like, where was I? And did they just sit around or did they go after Irving texts and says, we're going on Monday? Did they go to Tyrell and work out the plan. And it has a lot of implications because if Angela is in the dark, then Angela doesn't know the full spread of what was happening or was told that they'd be evacuating 71 facilities, which doesn't make as much sense. Or maybe Robot knows, but Angela doesn't. I mean, these are questions I'm certainly asking myself at the end of 306 because this is an event that's going to have an impact on so many different characters. I mean, we're talking about Elliot and his inability or his desire to make things right or to try to undo things. That's also a struggle we've seen play out in a different way with Darlene throughout the course of this season. She feels a lot of responsibility for the negativity in the world that she's played a part in creating. We see that scene with her on the subway where she's basically saying, like, I robbed this person and I did this and I killed a lady. And we know she's working with the FBI, but she's still keeping things a little close to the vest. And Agent DDP is finding out and knows in this episode, like you're protecting somebody. So this is something a lot of characters are struggling with, this desire to reset things or make things right. And we're seeing it play out in different ways with with each different character. But this event at the end of 306 is going to have significant impacts on all of them. And my, you know, I'm just wondering, like, if it's Angela, if it's Darlene, whoever it is, like, this is a, a major, this is a life changer for sure. It's a, it's a show changer. So I think that's a big part of the, the shock that we're all in because we, we're so wrapped up in these characters. We're going to feel that way as well. I, I agree with you 100% that this is a life changer for almost every single character that you listed, every single character on the show, except for maybe except for maybe Irving. I'm not sure how much he cares. But <laughs> as long as he's got ribs for breakfast, he's as good. As long as he's got ribs for breakfast and, you know, a draft of beach towel in front of him, I think he's good. Right. As <laughs> but, long as he's still got his damn meaty hands, he's happy. But I, I agree with you. I mean, this part of why I love this episode so much, and guys, hands down, I think this is probably one of my favorite episodes of the entire series. 
definitely the season, but probably the series. You're being very humble, and we have been remiss in pouring, you know, so much praise on onto you uh, for what you what you did in 305. I mean, poor Adana, indeed. (laughs) I mean, 305 is ridiculous. It's a ridiculous piece of television. It is insane. You guys presented a entire episode as a oneer. That's ridiculous. It's a it's a monumental achievement in television for sure. So I hope that you know you are aware that you are uh, the one of the chief architects of one of these most mesmerizing episodes of TV that I've ever watched. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. And I, I, I do want to reiterate, I know we, we talked about this last week too, but how much of a collaboration and a team effort it was to pull off uh, 305 and pull off that oneer or, or make it look like a oneer. And uh, I know Sam worked really hard with Todd Campbell, our DP, and Justice Justin Ritson, and our whole AD department. Everyone really brought it for that episode. And even in post, it was it was just so there was so much energy around putting that together, and everyone was really happy with with how it turned out. And I'm ecstatic with the the response so far. So that really does mean a lot to me. Thank you guys so much. Of course. No, were there any unique struggles with the writing of that episode, knowing that it was going to be a one or how much did it affect your creative process when you were when you were just breaking not only breaking the story, but just reducing it to writing and figuring that out? Did you have to write in the segments or how, how did that play out where you were writing in what was stitched together or did you just write it how you were going to write it and then work together with the team to pull it off? Well, I, Randy and I wrote it without worrying about stitching or takes or in and out points at all. We wanted to write an hour of television, or I guess to be fair, 45 minutes of television that was uninterrupted and in real time. So the biggest challenge for us was how do we keep the tension? Um, how do we keep the stakes high? And how do we keep this, the, the story moving forward and have that forward momentum when we can't cut away to anything? That was the biggest challenge. Like what what little roadblocks can we throw at Elliot's way or even at Angela's way uh, to make this story exciting and to make it feel like you're to make it feel like you know you're cutting away and, and you're you're having you're using some of those writer tricks of showing good news and bad news, but but and, and going back and forth between that, but still staying within a confined space and still experiencing everything in real time. So at that point, it's like okay, getting getting away from my cubicle is a challenge. That's a fun thing to deal with. Um, you know, finding you know. Getting into the stairwell and possibly getting stra- trapped in the stairwell is a fun thing to play with. Uh, you not having my badge and not being able to get in on another floor and having to ask someone else to, you know, uh, get, get me access through a doorway is another fun thing to play with. Um, finding an open network jack is a, something to play with. Getting someone else off their computer and using their computer is something to play. Like we tried to mine every little thing that he may have run into while he was in that building because he knows he can't leave the building and he wants to get more information about how the dark army has tried to annex stage two that morning and he doesn't want to leave until he gets that. So it, it was just, it was, it was really challenging from that perspective. But once we got it, like once we had a working draft of it, uh, you know, at that point it was just finessing. And um, as we were shooting it, like once they had a finished script, uh, that's where Todd, Justin and Sam were instrumental in shot listing and figuring out like, what are, what, what where are we going to shoot these takes and how, where are going to, where, our stitch points going to be, you know, is it going to be when someone crosses the frame? Is it going to be on a wall? Is it going to be, um, you know, uh, 
you know, with a, in a cloud of smoke in the beginning of the riot, things like that. And our uh, script supervisor was keeping track of every single take. So we had a really good idea of how we were doing time-wise based on our script. And there was a point where Sam came to me. He's like, hey, we're under. Um, so we need to figure something else out. We need Elliot to do one other thing. And that's how we got our conference room scene. Originally, there was no conference room scene. Oh, wow. And that's such a good scene. Yeah. I'm so glad you were under. Yeah. <laughs> so great. am I. It turned out, it turned out awesome. So, I mean, I was like, all right, well, shit, I have to add what two minutes to uh, a minute and a half or, or two and a half minutes. And so we, you know, I wrote, wrote the conference room scene and, uh, put in some funny Easter eggs. Actually, they're, an ungodly amount of Easter eggs in this episode, which is fun. Um, and our, our viewers have found probably like a good three quarters of them so far. Uh, oh, okay. But uh, it's, uh, yeah. So that was another really fun uh, scene to, to, to put together and, and Rami really chewed up the scenery and he gave an unbelievable performance just even in that, in that, in that section. And uh, so it, it, we kind of had to adapt to what we were, what, how we were filming it and how quickly we were moving. And it became really clear while we were filming that this thing had energy, even though we didn't see a cut at that point, when we were filming those takes, we're like, this is moving very quickly. This is moving fast. This is going to be uh, an edge of your seat type of episode. And luckily uh, both five and six have that kind of feeling. And it's, it feels just like a nonstop roller coaster ride from five to six, from the beginning of five to the end of six. And uh, I'm, I'm very happy with how that turned out. I mean, it really does feel like, you know, we've been saying it as a joke. It's a stage two parter. You know, it's sta- stage two is broken across two episodes and it, it is really epic in that regard. And, you know, watching them of a piece is a really incredible experience. Um, but just kind of to, to, to get back to like the stakes of, of where we are now after this massive event of the show, this feels like, you know, this feels like finale level material on just about any other show. Like this is what you're building towards all season long and you get this big explosive massively violent event happening and now you've got all summer or in modern television terms potentially more than a year to wait uh until you get any elaboration on what's coming next in fact even in in mr robot's terms it sometimes takes that long before you come back for another season so i guess i'd be curious as to why now why is stage two happening in really the midpoint of season three why did this feel like the natural point for this massive monumental really the biggest thing to have happened on mr robot so far to take place at the midpoint of season three i uh i I know that we discussed this when we were breaking the story early on in season three and i think the consensus of the room was we teased out this this notion of stage two in season two and it was more interesting for all of us if we uh if if we set that off halfway and then dealt with the fallout of it, that was a more interesting, uh, it was a more interesting avenue and kind of subverted, you know, the normal expectation of saving this for the finale. And there was something, I mean, personally, there's something kind of cheap to me about uh, stretching out stage two and saving that for the finale of season three, even though we set it up in season two. Um, so I love that it subverts expectations in that way where you're not expecting it to happen. Uh, this early and you're not expecting it to happen quite 
in this way, the way that we, the way that we executed it. So in, in, from that perspective, it, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a really clean one, two punch. And it creates all these questions like the, the, the mystery and the anticipation that's surrounding these questions that you're asking me about, like, what's, you know, this is a game changer. What is Angela going to do? What's Elliot going to do? What's robot going to do? Who knew what, like, what, how are these, how is the world going to react to this? Like, this is a, this is a huge terrorist attack. And, you know, Elliot not only blamed himself for five, nine, but now he realizes that he was instrumental in, in, in what happened to these 71 buildings. So all of that was infinitely more appealing to us for, for, for content to mine and explore, um, in season three, which is why we made that decision. You know, it's it's going to be a really fascinating thing to see the fallout on how this how this weighs on on the world of Mr. Robot at large and specifically the characters that we've come to know across the past several seasons. Um, and, and it's it's interesting to me that, you know, there are a lot of people that we have been following for so long that it's hard to imagine how they walk away clean from this. Um, you know, even before the execution of stage two, the successful full implementation of this plan, you know, Angela is getting this guy beaten to death, you know, while she's on, you know, not necessarily intentionally, but that's what happens as a result of her crawling through the floor back in 305. Uh, and the, the the poor woman whose name I'm blanking on that she... Lydia Riley. Not, yeah, yeah, poor Lydia <laughs> Riley. You remember her name because you probably killed her. I mean, like, just... Uh, <laughs> she might be a former enemy. <laughs> <laughs> you know? You know? So, like, just, like, the, the fact that even, even before, you know, the 71 building, um, you know, there's already Angela is going to have blood on her hands. And now she's a pivotal player in the worst terrorist attack uh, in the universe of, of Mr. Robot, an unfathomable thing that is really, you know, partly harrowing because it is kind of fathomable. Um, you've got Tyrell Wellick, who is uh, orchestrating this plan, who is using the full force of the Dark Army to detonate these 71 buildings and kill thousands and thousands of people. And already Tyrell was somebody who is uh, a difficult character to sometimes empathize with, even though I think 303 does a really great job of getting you in his head and feeling his isolation and feeling his loneliness. Uh, but Antonio, you had a, a really great take on 303 in retrospect that that like it feels like you're you're like seeing bin Laden on lockdown, right? Like, right. you know, it's like you're really seeing a terrorist mastermind on lockdown before executing this massive, massive terrorist plot. Are you guys worried at all in the writer's room as you're mapping this stuff out? You know, just to take you back to the moment of arcing out season three, that you're going to lose the audience on some of these characters at all. It's 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 really difficult to ever imagine really fully empathizing with Tyrell Wellick. Uh, not that that was ever an easy task to begin with, but even Angela, it's really hard to imagine. Like, how do you how do you root for her ever again after something like this? Is that something that you guys talked about? We talk about it a lot. And uh, I mean, honestly, with Angela, uh, I mean, you said a lot and I'll, and I'll address the whole Tyrell bit, too. But even now, even after watching six, I think one of the most emotional moments of this season is that teaser to six where we're at Angela's mom's kind of, you know, see you in the next life party because you know that she's she's dying and she's throwing this. She, she's having this gathering. And we have that amazing performance by, uh, you know, young Angela and, and Emily Moss. And 
she's asking her daughter to, which is something that's that's quite common. Uh, 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 you know, when when humans are dealing with the notion of death and loss, um, which is like, I, will you believe with me? Will you believe that there is another life or another time where we can be together again? That this isn't the end. That you know, we will see each other again in in some form and we'll be able to bake and we'll be able to dance and all that. And you see the facial expression on little Angela and she has that kind of soft smile and she starts hoping and she starts believing. And I think that plants the seeds for what White Rose um, is t- tells her later and uh, what White Rose uses to kind of get her on board with this new plan and stage two. And when we do that hard cut from young Angela to Angela at E-Corp and it's the in the midst of a riot and the alarms are blaring and he's and she's staring at Elliot. I feel for her. Like even when I watch it now, I feel for her. And knowing that what she ends up doing, knowing that she believes in what she's doing so strongly and she's wanted to believe this ever since she was a little girl that she could see her mom again, that I feel so bad for her. And I feel like, you know, and like it's, it touches on what you were talking about earlier about like hoping that whatever the hell White Rose has planned, whatever White Rose showed her, you're hoping that it's true and you want to believe it as strongly as Angela does. And in and in, in, in a way, it creates this weird contradiction when, when you're dealing with television characters or, or any kind of, you know, characters in, with even in film where you have this conflicted feeling of like, oh my God, they're doing terrible things, but I still feel for them and I still understand where they're coming from. And uh, one thing as writers that, that that is appealing to us is this notion of like <clears throat> pushing our characters to the edge and bringing them back. And if we can do that on a, from a character perspective, from from a on a character level on an emotional level um you know w- one of my favorite things about uh you know television today is you see so much of it like i always use jamie lannister um, from game of thrones as an example where like you start off hating him and then by season three you really really feel for him yeah once he loses his damn meaty hand, yeah you know, once it's... he loses that damn meaty hand. <laughs> spoiler alert sorry guys but uh, I mean, I think that's that, that's kind of that kind of stuff to, for writers to chew on. It, it's 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 gold for us. I mean, it's it's challenging, and, and in a way, we're writing ourselves into uh, a corner. But it's 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 a fun corner, and it's a really it's a really fun problem to deal with. Where like you know, for those who aren't completely empathetic with with Angela at this at at this point, how do we get them back? And we see Darlene trying to undo things in her own way, and we see. Elliot trying to undo things in his own way. And even though Darlene is betraying Elliot and, you know, Elliot can't control what robots doing, like you, you, you really, uh, one, one important aspect of season three is really digging into all of these character motivations and trying to understand where they're coming from and empathizing with them in some way. And that's why we got episode uh, 303. That's why you saw Terrell in the farmhouse. Like, cause, cause we had never done that with him before. And, and I don't think people would have thought like, Oh, like I, I don't think people would have empathized or rooted for Terrell in that way before. I thought he was a cool, um, like crazy character and it was fun to see what crazy thing he was going to do. And he's just weird, but I don't think you emotionally really, uh, rooted for him or, or empathized with him until you saw 303. So, I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, it's, it's taking us to an interesting place. Um, and I don't want to get too descriptive about it. So it's kind of a Fidelio territory, but it's, uh, <laughs> sure. it's, it's definitely something that, that was interesting to us early in, in the breaking of season three. 
Well, I think you've got an opportunity with another character that, that it plays a small part in this episode, but pay, plays a much larger part in the meta nature of the story, and that's Philip Price, a character who has been on the outside, who has been on the fringes, who has been a character that I don't think many people would describe as eminently likable. But here he's in a position where he's been, he's got a slap on his wrist, which is what White Rose called it. If that's a slap, I'd hate to see a punishment. But this is a, he's now in a position where he perhaps has the opportunity to, I think, be viewed differently by the viewers. He's a victim in, in this horrible attack. And yeah, I just, I think that that's fascinating because you, you create those opportunities with an incident like this as well. Not only can you add emotional dimensionality to certain characters, but you can really add it to people that we haven't seen before. So we may have a three, hopefully, I hope we have a 303 version of an episode or a similar style thing with Philip Price at some point. And there are those opportunities that an event like this presents that are fascinating to me for sure. I just, I, I'm, I'm just so taken aback by the nature of it all, by the fact that Angela's mother is telling her, I want you to believe with me. And Angela's mother may have been working on the project with White Rose. We know, for example, that Mr. Alderson was. We hear about this mysterious benefactor that may or may not have been willing to pay Angela's mother's medical bills. So there does seem like there's more there. And it feels like we're, we're going to continue to pull the curtains back and find out more about that story. Is that something you guys are certainly excited when you when you write a scene like that? Like, oh, we're filling in another like if we're, we're filling in another layer of this story. Are you really excited to write those scenes because we're filling in more of the greater story of the show? Definitely. Definitely. And that was what that was part of what was so satisfying about writing three and and and, and putting three together, because we answered so many questions about, uh, you know, what happened while Terrell was away and what he was doing. And he, he, like you said, with Philip Price and 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 his dynamic with White Rose. And I, I, I really think I'm trying to choose my words carefully here. <laughs> uh, I, I think that we laid the track early on for price, especially in this season to go down the road that you're describing where we can start empathizing with these kinds of characters. Like, I don't think you've ever seen price rattled at all in the first two seasons of Mr. Robot until, uh, and, and I don't mean angry when I say rattled, I don't mean angry. I mean like vulnerable and kind of like really bested, uh, Caught hanging brain, so Caught to speak. hanging brain. Uh, <laughs> um, and, until and there are early exchanges with Price and Zhang in in season three, where you start seeing a little bit of evidence of that. And and com and and if you compound that with the effects of this most recent terrorist attack in the seventy one buildings, and it does start creating those questions, like what does this mean for E Corp? What does this mean for Philip Price? And did he deserve what, you know, what White Rose had planned for him? And those are all questions that we want you to be asking at this point. Um, and l like you said earlier, I, 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 we really love digging into these characters and filling in these gaps and um, fleshing them out in a way so... They are truly three dimensional, even though even if they may, even if it seems like they start off kind of two dimensional or mustache twirly or whatever, uh, we really want to make them feel human, complicated and uh, and empathetic at the end. 
You know, you guys in the writer's room, um, you are, you are both brave travelers and savage travelers. You know, you are, you are cutting, you know, you're cu- cutting swaths of humanity down in the, uh, execution of stage two. That's a storytelling choice that you're deciding to make. You know, Mr. Robot has never been shy about interacting with the modern moment. We're seeing a lot of, uh, as you referred to him, our embarrassment. Uh, we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of, uh, a lot of Trump references throughout season. And three, um, we have certainly seen um, the show has had uh, you know difficult timing in the past. You know the season one finale being preempted, uh, being pushed because of really horrible things that have happened in reality. And I think for me, part of the trauma of watching stage two happen is like it feels so freaking real. Like it feels like you know the it, it, the sensation that you're getting when you're watching that and you're seeing all of these different characters stop on the streets and look at their phone and they all knows something that Elliot doesn't and Elliot joins the chorus of people that are gathered around a TV screen and these are the moments that you never forget where you were and how you felt what you were wearing how you smelled when something just awful happens and very very tragically and terribly and awfully we are living in a time where really terrible things happen frequently with some frequency was there was there concern was there fear was there any trepidation in writing an event like this of like how close to home it is or is that the kind of thing when you're when you're feeling that when you're feeling that heat and it's making you guys feel sick potentially even in the writer's room does that give you the go sign is that what tells you that this is what's right for mr robot i think it's more of the latter and honestly i mean i think we would be doing ourselves a disservice as uh creators and storytellers if we weren't trying to infuse the work with what we were feeling and uh and kind of incorporating the state of the world into the show i mean that's why you see the trump the trump references that's why you see um the the kind of the the realistic that gritty reaction uh to a a, a catastrophic event like that and i th- i think i, I don't I, I don't i wouldn't say that we ever fear going in that territory i mean there are times where we may go too far and we'll get a note to pull back but for the most part i i feel like that's where we really do our best work when we're when we're being honest with ourselves and we're being honest about the state of the world and we're really and this is randy's <laughs> randy's favorite catchphrase in the room um he's like i'm just a mirror man i'm just a mirror don't get mad at me so in a way we're, we're trying to I, I mean to steal that I, I mean that's that's essentially what we're doing um we're we're attempting to be a mirror and uh it's it, it is tragic uh it's completely tragic on a human level but from a a narrative level and from a place of um story i i think it's 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 where the best work is done because that's how you really connect to your audience um and if you can elicit that kind of response and that reaction that you're describing um I, I take that and I feel conflicted about even saying this, but I mean, as a writer, I take it as a compliment, but uh, as, as a human, it makes me, it makes me extremely sad. So I'm conflicted about hearing something like that, but it's, it, 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 it kind of, it means that we, we succeeded in um, what we set out to do with, with, with this story. Right. It's well, the world you're meditating on. Yeah, it's the world. Yeah, definitely. And it's so crazy because there are so many people and you can go on Reddit on the Mr. Robot subreddit or you can, I'm sure you've heard it so much. And I'm, I'm sure Sam Esmail hears it all the time about how they find Elliot uh, to be such a relatable character. And this is a person with some serious mental and emotional problems. Uh, he's creating manifestations of his dead father and re- losing time and forgetting they exist. And yet you guys do such a good job in that, in that 
realm of making an extremely unrelatable character very relatable his panic his emotions his anxiety and to do that in that realm on the on the small level and then to do it with the world at large i i think is definitely one of the strengths of the show so it's encouraging to know that that's something that you guys embrace and want to take on because yeah being a mirror or reflecting what's going on right now it's not going to produce the best images in some cases but i i read when with when you were talking to josh about episode five that you were at the airport protest or you went to a protest before you had to write the protest in episode five so it's it has to inform what you're doing it would be dishonest for it not to definitely i mean the first thing i heard like i took an uber to that protest and i remember uh the, my driver was arabic and he was he asked me where i was going and i said terminal four and he was actually really happy he's like if i didn't have to work i would be there too so i remember the second i got out of the car walked walked closer to the protest the first thing i heard was that chant of show me what democracy looks like this is what democracy looks like and that just kind of got stuck in my brain like s- similar to what josh what you were describing like when you know everyone knows where they were when something terrible happened like i had uh, on, on on a more on a smaller scale like i i just that that moment is kind of um you know i always remember that first moment of first getting there because i rarely go to protests and for some reason i was compelled to go to go to this one because i was so fucking angry um yeah so yeah i stayed there for a couple of hours and i, I you know i protested took it in and then uh, two days later we just we decided to add a protest and a riot to the script and immediately i'm thinking like all right this feels like i can do this this feels right i can totally do this uh i would have never been able to i don't i don't think i would have known where to start had we had that not happened to me before so um everything like that i mean we try and ground every aspect of this show in reality uh, to, to, to the best of our ability. And that, I mean, everything from, and I know I've talked about this at nauseum with, with a bunch of other, you know, in, in prior interviews, but it's like from the, the way that the tech works from the way that the, the reactions work from the way that the, 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 the way that characters react to certain conflicts, we're dealing with a, a, a kind of this, fantasy idea of this conglomerate um, that owns 70% of the world's consumer debt. And I think that's the one, that's the one gimme that we're working with. Like that's the one thing that we're kind of, um, we're, 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 that, that we're, 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 we're just assuming that, you know, that's the, that's the, that's the one thing that's kind of uh, fantastical and then everything else is going to be grounded in reality. And we're going to have this kind of gritty realism with everything. So if it is going to be 71 buildings are, are, have just exploded and Elliot's coming off of this high of having just saved this one building and he's feeling good and you're feeling good and you feel like the episode's about to end on this high note, what would that reaction look like in in this day and age in 2015 or you know in, in 2015 everyone would be looking at their phones every you know you'd have that moment of walking down the street and everyone just glued to their phones or glued to any tv screen they see uh, you know on on a, at, at a you know on on the side of a street so these are just ways we 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 want to approach this in the most realistic way possible and it the fact that it's resonating with you in that way is, is uh, we, we think is a good thing. Um, I would love, you, you got like 15, 20 minutes or so. Sounds good to you, Corey. You can hang around for a little while longer. Uh, 
I would love to, Antonio, I'd love for you and I to, to pelt this man with some quick hits. I would love for you and I, we can, we can take turns throwing our tomatoes at this guy, uh, and cherry pick what we want in terms, no tomatoes. Tomatoes has a bad connotation. This is going to be, this is more like a game of catch. Not that I, I, I mean, I'm not really good at that stuff, but, uh, <laughs> neither here nor there. But I, I, I would, lo- I would love to, how about an Easter egg toss? Or, you know, I would love to talk about some of the things that are interesting to me in this episode and Antonio, you as well, just in terms of some quick hits. And the first one that I would love to, to throw at you is, do you have a story of Rami Malek just like, beating the crap out of himself over the course of this episode because he really that one hallway shot where he is just like launching himself into the wall and everything it just like the physicality of his performance in this episode must have been a really fun thing to witness firsthand i do have a story and he's if he ever hears this he's gonna get mad at me for saying this i know rami malik is one of our uh, number one <laughs> listeners to this podcast i'm gonna get yeah. i'm gonna get some some text from him and he's gonna be frustrated but I do have a story. I don't have a story about Rami Malek um, ramming his head against a pipe or throwing himself downstairs. But I do have a story about our courageous stunt double who did all of those things and (laughs) our amazing post-production team and our VFX team, which made it look like it was Rami's face. Wow. You've been called out, Rami Malek. You've been called out. People get mad about that. Came for your wig, but it was Came for it your was wig. only for those really like graphic hit, those those ones that are painful to watch. Like there's that one long shot. And it's one of my favorite shots in this episode. Actually, it reminds me of that one that oneer from Old Boy where he just takes out like 50 guys in the in the hallway. Except our version of it is just just staying on Elliot the whole time, and and every time yes. it glitches, he turns to robot, and we see him do something to harm himself, and then it glitches back to Elliot, and he's struggling to get up, and that awesome score by matt quayle um but it it is uh it 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 was definitely a stunt double for those really gruesome hits well i I would love to know about like the writing process uh, in terms of like discussing what it's what it's like when elliot and robot are swapping places so quickly and with such urgency like we saw back in 304 what it looks like when when robot transitions to elliot and elliot starts to wake up in the moment we saw that again in your episode we saw that in 305 that he's you know just coming awake for the first time but the rapid back and forth like the rapid fire transition with the computer glitching yeah. and all of that what kind of conversations did you have about like you know really bringing Elliot and Robot into into combat against each other in this episode we we really were careful not to uh re, to keep to reuse what we had done in prior seasons we didn't want it to seem like something that you'd seen before and we've had Elliot battle Robot in a, you know a multitude of ways uh in seasons 1 and and 2 uh but here we wanted it to be different and what's cool about it from how, from how Kyle from how we broke it in the room and effectively how Kyle wrote it in the script is that we're staying with Elliot for the most for most of the time we're staying with Elliot and we experiencing that we experience that as we get closer to stage 2 actually moving forward we wanted those those cuts to be quicker and more staccato and we wanted the glitching effect to really represent that 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 audio video glitch effect that we do to represent that that passage of time and that loss of time but strictly from Elliot's point of view and since like I told you before we we really work hard to stay in Elliot's point of view as much as possible and we thought that it was a way that we hadn't done it before was this kind of fast, urgent way where, you know, Elliot is not losing a whole weekend or he's not losing a week or he's not losing a night. 
he's losing minutes. He's losing seconds. He's losing, he, he, the, the time duration is so short that he could actually, you know, stop himself, jump out of the cab that robot jumped into and run back to the, the building and try again, or bring up a notepad document and start talking to robot and having this dialogue back and forth. And we wanted the time to get less and less and less as we reached the end of the episode. So this was something that was completely by design. And it was exciting to us because it was something that we'd never done before. We don't like doing the same things over and over again. And a lot of this season has been exploring the nature of that transformation and how it happened. So, you know, we, we, we already did the weekend. We already did the night. We did the kind of slow fleeting coming up, uh, coming to from a dream type energy in the beginning of five. And here, uh, you know, we ratchet the tension up all the way throughout five. And here it's like, it's, you know, it, the stakes are high and we want to keep ratcheting it up as, as we're going on through, through 306. And there's one thing I do want to point out here. Um, and this is a testament to the editor of this episode, Justin Crone. Um, and I know his, his assistant, Chris Gorell, did a lot of uh, work on this as well. Uh, but not all of it was scripted with this fast intercutting back and forth. There's a lot of intercutting in this episode. And uh, there was a bit in Kyle's script, but I think Justin went a little crazy with it in this episode. And it really paid off uh, because the I even I, and I've seen this multiple times. If I sat down and watched it tonight again i would be on the edge of my seat um just because of the way that it was cut and the way that we're intercutting all of these um these you know dom storyline with elliot storyline and um and, and what angela on the subway and, and all that yeah and even terrell stuff you know it really like once once we're barreling towards the end like everything is just like cutting back and forth and back and forth and that's not i i don't really think of robot in that way like i do feel like you're often with a scene right like you're in a scene for a while rather than like you know kind of a lot of different parallel you know cars like racing each other on the highway and it does have that feeling of like everybody is is driving as fast as they possibly can to get to you know to get to the end of the road uh and nobody's going to win the race, except if your name is White Rose. Uh, it's you know, it's a, it's a really cool, cool. Yeah, possibly, possibly, possibly. Yeah, it's crazy. What do you got? It's, it's crazy to watch five and six back to back for that reason, because five, as you were pointing out earlier, core, you're building that tension in a completely different way. My favorite part is the elevator scenes in that episode, where you're you're building up to this great thing, and then you have to stop and wait while the, you're waiting for the elevator. And in Angela's case, the elevator gets stalled. So it's really fascinating to see those two episodes back to back because they're both really just exercises intention building fantastically so but in completely different ways in a, in a, I, I was really uh, I just liked hearing you talk about that how the tension was written into episode five versus what we're hearing how it's partially written into episode six but also in post-production how it's built there uh, ch changing gears though I want to talk about a character that we haven't really mentioned at all uh, but that is part of this episode and that's Santiago yes. Santiago he, he's dirty Santiago calls his mom uh and he says, stay, you know, she, he says, stay home. I'll order you the insurer. I can get it shipped in the same day. He's dirty. We know this. But I, I, I'm questioning, like, what is he doing? Like, he's on board with the with the Dark Army. But is he on board for a New York only attack? Does he I mean, how how much should we as viewers be questioning what Santiago's motives are? Is there going to be hopefully a reason for us to invest a lot of questions in Santiago at this point? 
Here's how I can answer that question. <laughs> yes. Good. Uh, what we're trying to do with Santiago and what uh, what I believe you're reacting to actually speaks to something you brought earlier, which is um, how do we what you brought up earlier, which is how do we build empathy for some of our more extreme um you know, antagonistic characters. And I think the fact that you're asking these questions is, is a good thing. And a lot of this will be uh, resolved and will, there will be a clear arc by the end of this season. I can say that. I was also going to say in that scene that you're referencing, I, I, th- I believe it's when he's calling his mom that he's holding the snow globe, right? Right. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's a, New York. Right. Th- that's a little nod to uh, citizen Kane as well. No, oh, mm. I thought it was St. Elsewhere, maybe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> different thing. I, you got me worried about different worlds and where these shows taking place. Rosebud yeah, so would have been another good safe word, I feel That's like. a great safe word. Rosebud's Mr. Rosebud. Um, what, is, what is the story behind the conversation between White Rose and Philip Price at Mar-a-Lago, uh, both in terms of that being the setting and also what is discussed between them as they lay their bayonets down on the battlefield? Um, Mar-a-Lago is another fun little dig at our embarrassment. Uh, it just kind of made sense that that's where, uh, the most powerful men in the show are deciding to meet and what they are, uh, the conversation that they have is for, for, for me personally is a great calm before the storm moment and a kind of, uh, look into their dynamic, which is so awkward and so weird and unexpected. And it's actually one of my favorite parts of this episode. Um, and the, the, the hanging brain <laughs> moment where, uh, where they bring that up is actually an inside joke on, uh, in the writer's room. I can't tell you all of it because I'm <laughs> going to get in trouble if I tell you exactly where it came from, but it's something that we would always keep saying. Um, you know, there are certain words that certain words and phrases that kind of creep them creep their way into these scripts, and it's because like every day when you're when you're spending sixteen hours a day with these other writers, um, you know, the, the only positive moments of, of laughter and enjoyment come from these stupid or gross inside jokes. And one of them is hanging brain. Another one was Swedish scumfuck. Uh, so the, <laughs> these these things just found their way into the scripts, and I'm so happy that. <laughs> Um, it makes me nervous to think about the origin of Fatty, Fatina, and Georgie. Oh, Fatty, Fatina, and Georgie is based on a real New York City cab driver. Uh, we actually tracked down this, like, I forgot who it was. A member of our crew had um, had had gone into this taxi cab where there is this uh, this this this, this fishbowl. And I don't think he named them the, the same names, but uh, that's what we, we, we derive some inspiration from the, that real cabbie. I wish I could. I wish I remember that guy's name, but uh, that's where that came from. And Kyle wrote that into the script. We had some great back to the future stuff in this in this episode, not only the cartoon that Angela is watching at the beginning of the episode, but I'm, I'm, we had the reference there at the beginning to the enchantment under the sea dance. Then we had at the, the data recovery facility, the blue wall with the fish on the wall. Was that part and parcel? Was that an enchantment under the sea reference there? I think it was by our production designer, uh, Stasha White. She, um, she does a great job. And, uh, I, I think, I believe that's what it was. I don't want to speculate too much because I, I 
I can't completely remember, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that was another Back to the Future reference. We, we don't we don't have any shortage of Back to the Future references on this show. Um, and uh, I, I'm very happy with the uh, I love that we got the animated series there in the teaser, too. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, we're um, living in uh, alternate Hill Valley 1985 as we speak, <laughs> so it's great. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, there's a, a there's there's the scene after the uh, after the flashback with with Angela and seeing her as a child, where Angela and Elliot finally catch up, and they you know we get the other side of how things left off in 305, and Elliot tells Angela uh, that he saw her on the 23rd floor. And I think some eagle-eyed viewers noticed what appeared to be Elliot running in the background in 305. Are these two things connected? I will confirm for all the Redditors out there that uh, what they saw in the background where, while Angela is waiting, wearing the mask, waiting for the elevator, um, in the background we see Elliot running toward the CSAT room and uh, the HSM machines because... Uh, that's where he was headed earlier. So how he got back into the building and how he got up there, uh, that's a story for another time. <laughs> but uh, th- that's definitely Elliot. Is that, is that a story that we'll see someday or is it more just like Elliot Alderson is awesome and he got up to the – he got back in the building? I'm not sure. I doubt that we'll see it. So I think it's a, it's, a, it's a matter of, you know, how does he get – since we didn't stay with – even though he asked us to stay with him in the beginning of the script and not leave him, we did end up leaving him when he met with Darlene. We're such bad friends. We're really bad we're friends. <laughs> we never tell him anything. This we're is terrible. horrible. It's a completely yeah. like one-sided, just terrible relationship. Um, so, yeah, his goal even before he met with Darlene was how am I going to get back into the building? How am I going to get to the HSMs? So I know in my mind how he did it, uh, but it's not something that I, I want to divulge because I really like reading how people I, like there's a whole Reddit thread about this and I'm, I'm just really digging it. So I don't really want to give it the answer right now. I like it. I like it. Speaking of when Elliot meets with Darlene, I love the cue. I don't know the name of the, the, the Macquail track that, that plays there. It's the mind awake body asleep track. And I believe it's the same track that plays when we see the evolution of the Mr. Robot store at the end of season one and we see it changing storefronts. One of my favorite music cues. Is there a particular reason other than atmosphere that that track is selected or, uh, is that just one of the, the, the best ones to pull when you've got to add that eerie atmosphere where Elliot's trying to figure all this out and there's a protest going on around him and his world has literally been shaking it. I think that was a call by Roseanne Tan, the the editor of that episode. And usually what editors do is they'll they'll temp out they'll put in temp music for different moments that to achieve the kind of energy or atmosphere that we're that we're looking for that Sam wants. And then Mac will go back and uh you know write new music based on that. Or, you know, if we have a needle drop and we want to play an actual song from another artist, we'll, we'll get that in there and we'll try and license it. But for this specific one, um, and I'd have to ask Rosie about this because I haven't, I haven't asked her that and I wasn't in the room when she chose it, but I have a feeling that it, it's, it's exactly what you said where this particular track, um, from a prior season really just, just perfectly captured the atmosphere of, um, of, of this bombshell that, that Elliot's dealing with in this moment. And it does work perfectly. And, and it's, it's great that, uh, 
it makes you think of the mind awake body asleep moment because that has thematic resonance for um, him waking up to the truth and him learning him, him learning the truth about Darlene and Angela and in the, in the middle of all this chaos and the protests and the HSMs and getting fired um, you know you have those betrayals being uh, being illuminated for him in that in that scene and that and that, that music that music captures that perfectly so the the young Angela we see in the in the beginning of this episode is this is this is this <laughs> is this <laughs> so so I can't I can't even ask the question okay okay I was hoping that I could get at least one hard fidelio out of this it feels like <laughs> feels like I got there let me see if I can get another hard fidelio coming up uh, with the, with this question. Um, Antonio was the guy who who really threw this out there on a recent podcast about Terrell and his family and you know what he's hoping to do his his hopeful reunion with Joanna and the baby we know what happened to Joanna still very upset with all of you for what you did to to poor Joanna Wellick uh and we know from that episode in episode 2 Santiago uh tells Dom that they are going to put the the baby in social services now we know Santiago is Dark Army. How deeply concerned should we be for the Wellick baby? How how terrified should we be for the fate of the Wellick child? Is that child truly in social services? I love the way you phrase these questions, Josh, because whenever you ask me, like, how should how deeply should we be troubled? Some like my first reaction is like, ah, you should be troubled. And then that's that's where I want to leave it. But uh, but I, I, will say- I hope I hope that you can like just elaborate a little bit further. I put a lot of trust in you to give me a colorful response. I could I will give you uh, an unexpected response. I don't know if it's going to be colorful, but the majority of uh, I mean to answer the specific question you asked, I it's Fidelio for everything com- concerning the Wellick family at this point is Fidelio. Uh, but what I will say is. That scene that in, in and it happens in six, where Irving is leaving Terrell um, in what we come to learn at the, by the end of the episode, the basement of the Red Wheelbarrow uh, restaurant, and he turns to Terrell and he says, "I'm sorry." And it's right after he gives him the the directions and tell you know Terrell thought he was going to die, and now he, he has to do what's on the directions and burn them. But Bobby delivers this amazing. It's one of the best. I think it's one of the best line deliveries this season too. Where for probably the the, the only time this season, I feel that Irving is being sincere, and yes. there's so much loaded in that delivery of "I'm sorry" that's built into the dramatic irony of the scene because you, as a viewer, and Irving as a know exactly what happened to Tyrell's family and Tyrell has no idea. So, you know, is he he's in a way he's apologizing for everything that Tyrell is about to go through. Um, not so much what he's been through and he's been through a lot. So, um, I know it's a kind of tangential from, from what you originally asked me, but I wanted to bring that up because I think it's one of, it's one of my favorite moments in sex. It's a great, great scene. I love that. And, you know, not a, not enough, you know, there's been so much going on this season that has been so tremendous and like really, um, attention grabbing that I think somehow, e- e- if it's even possible, Bobby Cannavale not getting enough credit for just how ridiculously great he is as Irving. And I will just object, uh, to the, to the greatest line delivery of Irving <laughs> so far, which you, which you know my favorite is put it on the dash. <laughs> 
it is it's pretty just, good. It's perfect. It's pretty it's perfect. perfect. It's pretty good. I really do think it's a, it's a, at least a top ten in the entirety of Mr. <laughs> Robot so far for me. I don't know how you got. I don't know how you got Michael Christopher to say Hanging Brain. So I'm on board <laughs> with that. But uh, no, I, I really yeah. I I love that Irving moment. I also thought like I really so if you know if, if that's what the intention was that the sincerity was there if that was his choice or if that was the direction it really comes across. I felt like that might be the only sincere moment we've seen from Irving the whole time. Like yeah, this is I'd agree with really that. really great. So I I was a big fan of that. It's a complete gear shift, but I I laughed watching this episode Darlene's leaving her apartment freaking out and she's interrupted by Girl Scouts trying to sell cookies? Is this I mean we're, we're, I'm cracking up here. What what's the story behind why those Girl Scouts ended up in this scene? I think it was a a moment of levity in a very serious intense uh episode especially coming off of five and going into where where we were headed uh with six i think it was kind of a light moment that uh that we talked about in the room that kyle wrote in and when we actually executed it when we filmed it um for me it it's it's a it's a callback to the shining like every time i see those two girls next to each other i i just think of the shining again and i know that we that we hit the shining hard with episode three um with 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 the kubrick and and, and the shining references, but I think that's a nice little, um, a nice little nod. And it is, it is meant to be a, 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 a little, a little comic relief in, in that moment. It makes me laugh too. Um, Antonio, you got anything else to, to toss at core? I don't want a Fidelio too hard. So no, not really. I'm just, <laughs> well, I'm, no, no, you got to get one Fidelio out of him. It's really no, I'm, fun. I'm, I'm I can really tell you. I'm really just fascinated by, by whether or not Mr. Robot may have been involved in the plan. Like that's the part to me that I'm most curious to see going forward. But I, I do want to ask in this, maybe we can Fidelio our way into this one, Josh. We didn't talk about Mobley. We didn't talk about Trenton and Mobley, our son, Josh. Yes. Cora, are you aware that uh, Mobley is uh, the time traveling son of Antonio Mazzaro and myself? I was not aware. I was not aware uh, of like that. A, he looks like a hybrid of the two of us. <laughs> that's, re- that's, re- that's, really, that's really all that it is. Uh, clearly, clearly, you cannot tell us when or how or why or what Mobley and Trenton are up to. But you could say, like, we'll, we'll see them again, right? Like, it's not like we'll never see them again. I can tell you that Fidelio... <laughs> that one counts. As well. <laughs> That's a pretty hard Fidelio. I'll take credit for that one. Oh my god! Yeah, if you if you guys kill Mobley and if you kill uh, Flipper for real, I'm out. I'm done. It'll be over. No more. And then I'll come back probably you'll, the you'll next week. You'll come back a week later. Well, that's good. Yeah, I'll, that's I'll good. Be back. I'll, be, I'll be back a week later. Uh, speaking of a week later, Core, as much as you can say, I, w- I would love to just like get a little bit of, of where we should expect this thing to be going now. I mean, like this is, this is, you know, an apocalyptic event that has occurred on Mr. Robot and it could go in so many different directions. And the word that is going through my mind, I know that the season three, the big word of season three has been, disintegration and that being applied to Elliot and Robot. Is that still the theme du jour? Is that still where we are in season three? Or are we moving towards a place of possible regeneration? Is that a possible word that we could be using to apply to the future of season three and the future of Robot moving forward? I think we're still in the thick of disintegration for the time being. Um, and I think that we're, we're probably going to, there's, a, there's some more to deal with, especially considering the, especially considering what happened at the end of six and how traumatic it is. Um, 
I think there's there's some more story to be told uh, with, with with the theme of disintegration. Uh, one thing that I can tee up for you, because I know that that's probably not a satisfying answer, uh, is that a fan favorite um, by the name of Leon will probably make an appearance next week. Whoa! What a badass response, yeah. sir. <laughs> I see what you did there. Oh, I like that. I like I like that. And if that means Stranton and Mobley aren't far behind, then I will be happy very much indeed. That's it. That's my song. <laughs> that's my song. That's my song. That's that's, that's what, what I got. You have a pretty good do you, voice. Do, do you think Joey Badass would approve? Do you think he and I could team up on? A I thing? think he'd approve. I think he'd. I okay. think he'd be dumb not to team up with you. Jay Wiggs on the hook, so you know it's a hit. That'll be fantastic. <laughs> that's right. That's Corey, right. you have no idea how much Josh sings on other non Mr. Robot podcasts, but I just it's a lot. It's a lot. I have a I have a problem. I have an issue. It's I have not a, a problem. Real... It's it's a gift. Okay, it's a it's gift. A... <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a gift, Corridana. Your whole the whole team that you are working with over there at Mr. Robot. You're all very gifted individuals. Season three has been insane so far. Uh, I remain very shook by the events <laughs> of this episode and shook by the whole season so far. And four more episodes still to go this season. It's it's crazy to think that we still have that much robot. Uh, you know, it's 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 a it's a precious amount of robot that will dwindle week by week. <laughs> but it's still it's still a lot uh, a lot of room to deal with this massive event that's happened here at just past the midpoint. So that's very exciting. Kudos to you. Kudos to the entire team from Antonio and I, from everybody who listens to this podcast. This show means a ton to us and you guys are just killing it. Really, really crushing it this season. So congratulations to you and yours, man. Uh, Really, really great stuff. Thank you so much. On behalf of our whole cast and our crew and all of our producers and our writers, um, I thank you guys too. Uh, You guys are amazing. And the way that you guys break down uh, these episodes and how passionate you are really comes through in the podcast and in the write-ups and uh so thank you guys for being so so into this and it's it's really really satisfying to to see this kind of response and to talk through it with you guys so it's been a pleasure um thank you for having me on really do you have anything else to plug before before you move on from us core i don't believe i do i think uh where can where can we find you on the internet where can people find you of course our our column our weekly column thr.com slash mr robot is the way to find us there yeah you can you can find me on twitter at at coradana at k-o-r-a-d-a-n-a um can i can i get one more potential fidelio from you sure <laughs> what's up what what's happening what's happening with you me and billy shakes what's uh what's shakespeare doing in our column every week he's always making an appearance he's got some fascination with numbers what's happening what's happening with billy i shakes? love that you you waited till the very end to bring this up because i know there are a bunch of players of our arg who just tuned into this just to get any kind of semblance of a hint for the ARG or some kind of new clue or new puzzle. And all I'm going to say is Fidelio. Ah, oh, man. <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, Josh, that's what you wanted. <laughs> that's exactly on what you wanted. wanted. Yep. On that note, on that note, thank you so much, Corridana. Thanks, what a guys. pleasure to have you here on the podcast. It's been a blast. Thanks for having me guys. Thank you. Thank you. 
All right. All right. And there you have it. That was Corridana speaking with us, uh, us lowly mortals speaking with one of the, the titans behind Mr. Robot. <laughs> that was intense. That was fun, right? That was great. This is a good time. We had a good time. It started off in a dark spot and like it's still, you know, it's Mr. Robot, so it's still pretty dark, but I feel like we had a good time talking about the darkness. Yeah. I just, uh, really thankful that Core would take the time to talk to us mere cordals. And we're, we're just in the Corridana fan club. We're cordals. So yeah, uh, really, really thankful for that. And covered so many different topics, although I think that there are definitely some lingering questions, Fidelio, that we can get into uh, that we're hopeful that we'll, we'll try to address on our feedback show. Uh, any questions that that conversation may have raised, we're certainly interested in getting into. So again, let us know. MRRobot at postshowrecaps.com is the email address or postshowrecaps.com slash feedback. Josh, you're on Twitter, right? People can hit you up on Twitter. I am on Twitter. I am at Round Howard on Twitter. Who are you on Twitter? I'm at AC Mazzaro with two Z's and one R. Uh, and so we will definitely post a feedback episode based on your feedback. So please send us that feedback by the end of the day, Friday, uh, or early, early morning on Saturday. If you have to get it in late, uh, hopefully you're catching this podcast at some point. Make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast at Post Show Recaps. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash robot to subscribe in iTunes. As always, in iTunes, your star reviews and are your stars and your, your reviews are also appreciated. If you want to leave star reviews or actually leave written reviews, that those always help the show. They help other people see the show. We really appreciate everyone who has done that so far. So postshowrecaps.com slash robot if you haven't subscribed to the show so far. All right. Feedback show coming your way shortly. Further theorizing, more ruminating on what we just discussed with Core, what we just watched in 306, where we feel we are in the midpoint of the season. I'm sure Antonio and I are going to go on many, many tangents, uh, hopefully very much fueled by your feedback as well. So please get that our way and we'll be back soon, friends. Until then, take it easy. Take care of yourselves. And, you know, just the hug a loved one would be, would be a, a good, a good thing. I plan to do find that. Find your right. flipper. Hashtag find your flipper. Hashtag finds your flipper. All right. You're my flipper, Antonio. And you mine, Josh. That sounded reluctant, but I'm just going to leave it there. All right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to upset anybody else who might think that they're flipper oriented here in my All world. Right. So right. sorry, you, you are definitely my dorsal. How about that? I'll take it. I'll take it. All right. Take care, everybody. Good night. Goodbye, friend. <laughs>